We are continuing in a series, sort of the, the series before the series. The series is the supernatural storyline of the Bible, but the series before the series is laying down some necessary foundation to be able to process the supernatural storyline of the Bible. The goal is to help us have the same kind of perspective about God that those who wrote the Bible and those who the Bible were written to also have. So the goal isn't to see what you and I think about this, but to present to you in many ways what those believers thought about God, about demons, about angels, about the supernatural storyline. They had a more robust and more expressive understanding of the cosmic powers of darkness. They weren't influenced by Hollywood like we are. They're not influenced by science like, like we are. They had a real foundation that they believe God told them. And many of that has been lost to us. It's been lost in translation over the millennia. A couple thousand years of the Bible and the church living, and then we get in a more modern age, and, and we don't need or, or see those things in the exact same way. Or we personalize everything and make it about our experience of these things, and, and, and that becomes sort of the how we think about it. What do we think about this and, and this and, and deliverance ministry and all these different things, which, which are practical, but they, but they assume something about our understanding of what's actually going on in the world around us. We want to understand better what's happening. So the way we're doing this is to present material that kind of comes from sort of two angles. It's either likely or literal. So this is sort of the hermeneutic that we're using. Literal means this is what the Bible literally says. <laughs> like last week when Mike talked about the divine council and you got to, you know, Kings, 1 Kings 22, and you see... You see this scene of the throne room of God sitting among other divine beings and saying, who's going to stop King Ahab? And the spirit says, I'll do it. And he says, how will you do it? I will send a lying spirit to all of his prophets. And then God said, all right, go ahead. You'll be successful. Now, for all those of us, we would think, wait, wait a minute. God doesn't like evil, doesn't use it. What are we talking about here? We'll come back to that scene later. But we need to understand that this is a reality that's literally in the Bible. But then there will be things that we will talk about that will likely be true based on what the Bible says elsewhere. So there'll be some things that we're going to communicate that will likely be true based on what the Bible says elsewhere, like a like two, couple weeks ago when I did the first message, and I said in Genesis 3.15, when God was talking to Satan and Adam and Eve, everyone, all the divine beings were watching that scene. Well, does the Bible say that? Well, it doesn't say they were all there, but it says in Job that when God was creating the world that all the angels were worshiping and watching him. We know that the angels are created for God and to do his bidding, so where else would they be? It's not like there's other stuff going on and God is addressing Satan, Adam and Eve, and they're like, hey, man, I got to go over here and move this bridge real quick. Right, let me know what happens. It's like everyone is watching this scene. 
They're there to do the will of God, and wherever God is, they are. So there'll be things that we say that will likely be true because of what the Bible says elsewhere. Today, we need to have a conversation or at least understand some information answering a serious question is why are we involved in spiritual warfare? Like, why are we, to more us, human beings, why are we involved in it? We understand God and the devil. There's wars that happen all the time that have nothing to do with us. There's wars going on around the world right now, many of them we don't even know about. We're not involved in them. America's not involved in them. We're not. There's, why are we involved in spiritual warfare? How did we get pulled into this? This cosmic battle of God creating these beings and some of them sinning against him. How did we get pulled into this? Why are we in spiritual warfare? And then we're going to answer a question, why is it important to know the answer to that question? To do that, though, I need to make one observation about a very popular passage about a very popular explanation of that passage that I think is actually wrong. And to do that, I want to show you what I mean and why we're doing this series, because there's a lot of assumptions that are made about the Bible, and we've inherited those assumptions, and we communicate them. But is that what the Bible is actually saying? So let's begin in Revelation chapter 12. Very popular scene for many of us. I want to make an observation here to, to make this point. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 1, and I quote. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, and where she was placed, prepared, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, and but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the lamb, the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. First, what is revelation? 
we went through our church of the series somewhere around 2017, 26. I can't remember. COVID makes everything seem like it was 12 years ago. Somewhere around that time, we went through the whole book. And I said during that series, I repeated consistently that Revelation is a picture book. It's not a puzzle book. It's a picture book where God is using symbolic words and pictures to help us understand what's happening. He's giving us sort of the, if we were to pull back the curtain and see the supernatural world, then we would see all this stuff happening. Many of you are familiar with the story where Elisha was there and one of the, one of the young men was afraid of the war that was about to happen and he prayed, God, please show him so that he's not afraid. And all of a sudden he saw all these angels on horses and chariots. He'd never seen them before. All of a sudden he realized, oh, we all right. Okay, we good. I'm good. All right, let's, let's begin. He hadn't seen that before. So if God pulls back the curtain, he shows what's happening in very symbolic language. It's not always literal and often not literal. But he's explaining Essentially, giving us the supernatural spiritual warfare manifesto. But from not from our vantage point. So there's language and stuff we don't understand. And people spend all their time trying to figure out, oh, this is this. And God is this. And this is this. And this is this. And that's not necessarily what God intended it for. He intended it for those who believe in him to say, look, we can trust him to the end. Because despite all the evil and destruction that we see in the world, we know he wins. And those who believe in him win. It's a picture book, not a puzzle book, but it's also the supernatural manifesto. What's happening behind the scenes? It's not necessarily chronological. It's not about this, this day, then this day. It's not really, doesn't really, even though sometimes it reads like that, it's, it's really about successive visions that he's having. John is saying, okay, then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. But it's not one, two, three, four, five. It's just this is what I saw first, this is what I saw second, this is what I saw third, this is what I saw fourth. Those don't necessarily mean that's what happened in human history in that order. God is more trying to present a reality to those who believe in him that you can persevere to the end despite the evil that you see. Don't be fooled, because in the end, those who are with the Lord win. Now, much of what is described does take place on earth, but there are scenes that don't. There are, there's, there's statements and imagery that it doesn't seem like it makes sense to us. When you hear things like the devil cast down the earth, I don't ever remember anyone ever recorded watching Satan fall down to earth and being like, yeah, it happened in 1776. There's no historical account of that happening in our literal world. It's symbolic. It means something. And lastly, Revelation is connected to the book of Daniel. Daniel in his visions are the Old Testament revelation in many ways. Having said that, I want to make an observation or a course correction about something that we've all heard 
something that I believe and told others plenty of times that I no longer believe that's what the Bible's saying right now. Beginning in verse 3, here's what it says. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. Here's what many of you and I have all heard and believed, that a third of the angels rebelled with Satan and went to earth. And this is the passage that people use to say that. A third of the angels rebelled and went to heaven, went, to, went, went from heaven to earth because he cast them down. Okay, that is not what this passage is saying. In fact, we don't really have any idea based on the Bible alone how many angels did actually rebel. That's not what this passage is indicating. It's actually saying something on one level more terrifying than that. So let's, let, me, let, me, let me show you what I mean. Here's what it says. It says, verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars and cast them to the earth. All right? So this idea of his tail sweeping a third of the stars and casting them down to the earth. The language of cast, this casting or casting down language, is an important phrase in the Bible. It has a number of different interpretations when that word cast is used. And it means a few different things. We're going to look at what some of these mean. The, the, the most foremost important understandings and usages of this word being cast. First, it can mean sadness or depression. All right, go to Psalm 43, 5. It'll show up on the screen. Look at this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall praise, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So here is the soul is downcast. It's, it's sad. He's depressed and he's saying, why are you cast down? It means you're depressed, you're sad, you're, you're not yourself. It says put your hope in God. That's one way that cast is used, most common in the book of Psalms. Another way that cast is used is to be thrown away, thrown out, or thrown down. Here's a verse you probably haven't looked at in a long time, Lamentations 2.1. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He is cast down from heaven to the earth, the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. So the Lord is just thrown down. He is upset with Israel and he's cast down. It means he's thrown down, thrown out, thrown away the splendor of Israel because they have continually disobeyed him. That's what cast Cast us. Cast can also mean hurt, serious injury. Sometimes it's translated struck down in other translations. So here you have Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. Here's what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, same word in the Greek for cast. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So here Paul recognizes that to be struck down, to be cast, that means he's, he's hurt, there's injuries. They're affected physically and emotionally by their circumstances. He said persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down, cast down, but not destroyed. He said, we've been hurt. We've been beaten. We've been crushed. He says, not crushed, afflicted. So cast down means suffer pain or serious injury. To be struck down. It's a physical thing. Fourth and the final way that cast is often used is defeated. Daniel 8, 5 through 8 says this. And this is one of those sort of revelation-like pictures that God has given Daniel to explain things that are going to happen in the, in the occurring uh, years of, after Daniel's life, the successive years after Daniel's life. And here's what, here's what Daniel sees in the vision. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram. And he was enraged against him, and he struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So here in Daniel's vision, he sees this goat cast down, defeat the ram. And he uses the terminology and trampled on him. So what am I trying to say? There's no credible biblical translation that sees cast a third of the angels cast out of heaven as a statement of allegiance. That's a statement of vengeance and it's actually highlighting how powerful Satan is that he was able to strike down a third of the angels, a third of the stars. These aren't angels that joined Satan. These are angels that the God is telling us have been defeated by Satan. It's trying to present a picture of how significant this enemy is and how powerful he is. There's a reason why he thought he could rival God because he can destroy some of God's angels and cast them down to heaven with the swipe of his tail. The tail is actually the weakest part. It's the mouth and the arms and the chest. And it's saying his tail 
He's that powerful. But it's saying that to contrast his inability to stop the child from being born, which is Jesus. So it's contrasting. Look, he locked down a third of the stars of heaven, a third of the angels. He defeated them. But he couldn't devour the child. We're going to talk this morning. The reason why this is important is because we all have been told things that we presume that, oh, this is what this means. And there's a lot of things that don't actually people meant well, but that's not exactly what it's saying. And we believe these things and then we don't realize what's really going on. This imagery was not to talk about the rebellion of angels, but the inability of Satan to stop Jesus. And I'll show that in, in just a second. With that observation out of the way, first question, why are we involved in spiritual warfare? I get that angels are fighting with each other, but why are we involved in this? Let's look at Revelation 12, 4. Let's look at this again. His tail swept down the third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Well, that's Old Testament language describing Jesus. Oh, man, that's a lot to say right now. Not time. And the woman fled into wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished by it for 1260 days. Now, verse 7, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And I skip to verse 11. It says, and they have, so it goes from, which you might not see this because we're not going through it, it goes from the angels fighting, and then it says that the enemy, in verse 12, 17, we didn't cover this, it says this, then the sea dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. So it transitions from them fighting to now us, verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So here's what it's describing. Here's what this scene is actually describing. Some people think because it's describing a woman that it's talking about Mary. But it's not talking about Mary. Because he didn't go off to make war against Jesus' other brothers and sisters. It's not talking about Mary. It's talking about Israel. The Messiah comes out of Israel. So this is why they have these 12 stars around her crown, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a scene describing the birth of the Messiah and the impact that it's going to have in the world. This is pointing back to Genesis 3.15 when God told Satan this. We know this verse very well. After Adam and Eve bit the fruit, this is what God said to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So there is the imagery, why the woman imagery is used. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this enmity, this 
woman, this is intentional. Why doesn't he say, I'll put enmity between you and Adam? Because the rest of the Bible, it, it blames Adam for this, not Eve. There's only one or two other passages that mention, well, Eve bit the fruit first, 1 Timothy 2. But most of the Bible says it's Adam's fault. Jesus, Romans 5, he's the second Adam. Why doesn't he say, I'll put enmity between you and him because Jesus is going to come and be the second Adam? He says, no, between you and the woman. So in Revelation, the imagery of a woman giving birth is consistent. It's not about Mary. It's imagery to say that this is coming out of, this is what I told you was going to happen in Genesis 3.15. This is supposed to make us look back and be like, oh. Jesus says this about himself to some degree in John chapter 12, verses 31 through 33. Here's what Jesus says. He says, now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's a serious sneeze, brother. <laughs> I love that joint. And then John says this as a parenthetical statement explaining why Jesus said what he said in verse 32. In verse 33, John said he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus understands that now when I'm crucified, the ruler of this world will be cast out. His head is going to be bruised because I am going to draw all these people to myself when I'm lifted up. So why are we involved in spiritual warfare? Because Jesus was born. Because he became a human being. And he became a human being intentionally as told to him in Genesis 3 by God to crush your authority. And to crush his authority was to bring back people to faith in me, who, Romans, who Revelation 12, 11 says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So there are people who believe in Jesus, who are persevering to the end, conquering by the blood of the lamb, confident by the word of their testimony and will die before they give up their faith in Jesus. This is symbolic language describing the power of Satan being demolished because of the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the spirit empowering people. Jesus born into the world created all kinds of problems for the cosmic powers of darkness. And boy, are we going to get into those problems in this series. But this scene is describing the end of Satan's rule and that the third of angels being cast down is not them joining him, but how powerful he was to destroy them. But he couldn't destroy Jesus. He can't. 
there's a lot of contrasting language in the Bible, especially in these Revelation apocalyptic literature where you have this thing, and we're supposed to be, like, terrified. When Daniel was watching the visions, it said Daniel was terrified because the fourth beast was more vicious than the other beast, and Daniel didn't know what to think. He was terrified. We're supposed to be terrified when you think, wow, he could destroy a third of the angels. But then we're supposed to be like, oh, we outside when you realize he can't destroy Jesus because, and those who believe in him will persevere because they have faith in him. They conquer in the blood of the lamb. It's symbolic language for describing what many of in this room are doing every day, trying to fight our sin, persevere, trust the Lord. This is how you conquer by the blood of the lamb because you're doing it because you want to honor the Lord. You're doing it because you're motivated by the Lord. This is what he's describing. He's describing every single believer who is fighting the good fight of faith and not giving in because of the circumstances, not giving in because of the power of the enemy, not giving in because the world is a dark place, not giving in because it looks like, no, 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 staying with the testimony and the blood of the lamb is what he's describing here. A third of the angels, we have no idea how many angels rebelled against God. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is there are people who are going to persevere to the end. But the enemy is going to make war against us. Twelve seventeen. then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is to tell people who believe in Jesus, yeah, you're going to get some attacks. You're going to get some attacks. The enemy is powerful. He's good at what he does. But it's not going to look like what we see in Hollywood. You know what it's going to look like? People just slowly not caring about the things of God. It's going to look like that. It's going to look like people walking away from the faith because it's not this. It's going to look like ambivalence, bitterness in relationships. It's going to look like all that stuff. It's not going to look like this great big thing. It's going to be real subtle, real subtle to the point where you just don't care anymore. You lack the love that you used to have the confidence you used to have. This language isn't describing what it's going to look like to us, but it's describing the reality that will affect us. We are involved in spiritual warfare because Jesus was born, but there's a deeper issue. There's something else that's connected to his being born of why we are involved in spiritual warfare. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. I will never say long head don't care. I don't know what Lil Wayne's talking about. He ain't never preached. That's why he can say long hair don't care. I ain't cutting it, but I do care. It's been frustrating. 
Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to make like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 14 and 15 give us sort of the how, what, and why of what's, why Jesus did what's going on. So how quickly, it says he did it how, he partook of the same things, which means he became flesh and blood, right? This we are aware of. What, what did he do that for? 14, to destroy the devil who has the power of death. That's what he did it. And he does that by dying and then rising from the dead on his own. So death is something that many people are afraid to experience, even those who profess to believe in Jesus to this day. Afraid to experience. God knew that because and he gave the devil the power of death because of sin. The devil's connected to sin. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to die. Let you kill me. Rise from the dead on my own so that all the people who believe in me are not going to be afraid to die. I'm going to take that power from you. They're not going to be afraid to die. Why? Because they believe in me. Because all the other gods died and couldn't come back. I came back. Not only did I come back, I ate fish. <laughs> I chilled with people. I ain't just come back. I came back walking through doors eating fried fish, grilled fish, bread dipped in butter. Did all that. And showed them what you scared of dying for. What, what happened to me is going to happen to you. You good. When you die, you'll be with me. You good. You don't got to worry about none of that. And the why, deliver us from lifelong slavery. Death is no longer something that we have to fear because the one who controlled death got punked by the one we believe in. Amen. So believers aren't supposed to technically be afraid to die. We should be excited to live eternally with him. But verse 16 and 17 are the most significant verses that explain why we are in spiritual warfare. And I would say verse 16 is one of the greatest supernatural storylines of the Bible, statements that are ever made in the Bible. In verse 16, he says this, For surely it is not the angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So here's a question that you have to ask. Why does the writer of Hebrews want us to know that? Like, why does he, I mean, when you think about just in the natural storyline of the Bible, we're not even thinking about, like, 
him helping angels and this and that. Like, angels do what he says do. Like, why in the world would the writer of Hebrews want us to know that it's not angels that he helps, but the offspring of Abraham? That's a crazy statement. Because what would he be helping angels for anyway? Helping angels do what? Angels need help from him? In the natural storyline of the Bible, that doesn't make sense. But in the supernatural storyline, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. See, the distinction here is intentional. The word helps is a Greek word that's epilamboinamai. That's how you say it in the Greek. They might be like, that's not how we say it in Greek. That's how you say it in Greek. Here's what help helps means. When it says not the angels he helps, but he helps the offspring. So here's what helps means, that Greek term. This is what it means. To be concerned about, to be concerned for, or concerned with. It means to take hold of, to grasp, to catch. That's what it means in terms of the Greek word. But when you think about, well, how did he help the sons of Abraham? He helped us by providing salvation. So it wasn't just he takes hold of, he's concerned about a fall. He actually helps by physically becoming a human being and dying. Now, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that he's not doing this for angels. He doesn't do this for angels. Why would he? Well, the author is drawing attention to something supernatural. He's drawing attention that angels have sinned. These are divine beings that were created by God, and they've sinned, but God is not saying, I'm providing salvation for you. I'm concerned about you, concerned for you. I'm going to take hold of you, so I am also going to provide salvation for you. He's making a distinction saying these supernatural creatures that God created that are in his presence, that see him, some of them have sinned, and he's not concerned with them. He's not saving them. Jesus is not concerned with doing anything that will make them have right standing before God. He's not concerned. But he's concerned about us. He's concerned about us. Now, to add insult to injury, verse 17 says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Hold on. There are no angels that we know of that he calls brothers. I cannot find in any credible translation of the Bible where he calls angels brothers. But he calls us brothers. 
by design, brothers and sisters. So angels who he also created, who are more powerful than us, who are in his presence, that can do all these things that we can't do. He created them, they sin, and they're getting punished. He creates us much weaker than them. We sin all the time. All the time. All the time. And he says, well, I'm going to become like them. I'm going to take on flesh and blood, become like them so that I can forgive their sins. But you angels, no, I'm not. If you're an angel, you hate us. You hate us. I mean, imagine we get jealous when we see people doing well in ways that we're not. We get jealous. We get offended at things that people have that we don't. And here are these angels who are watching him create these humans and being like, Why do you care about them so much? <laughs> Essentially, you love them more than us. You created us too. You love them more than us. You know why Satan is the accuser of the brethren? Remember Revelation 12, 10, it said this. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. You know why he's the accuser of the brethren? Because he can't believe that God forgives us but not them. So he's standing there like, you love them? Look at what they do. They don't even like going to church. They don't even like reading their Bibles. They sin all the time. That dude's a pastor? Look at what he's watching. Look at what he's doing. Look at these people. They lie all the time. Look at them gossiping and slandering one another. These people complain about what you allow them to have and don't have all the time. And you love them? You love them? You forgive them? You didn't forgive us when we sinned once. But you forgive them? They sin all the time. They're offended. They're angry. Those are your brothers? There's another passage we'll look at in the future where it says angels long to look at these things and understand these things. They're sitting there like, what in the world <laughs> is he doing? <laughs> he left up here? To go down there and then to physically die so that they get to come up here? You know, in the Old Testament, there's a name exclusively given to the angels. It's called sons of God. But in the New Testament, that name is exclusively given to us. So not only do we take 
their love from God, we take their position, their names, their authority. The sons of God that rebel against God are being replaced by the sons of God who constantly rebel but are forgiven. Oh, it's deep. Why do you think Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6? Paul says this, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? He's talking about, why are you taking each other to court? And he says this in verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? We're going to judge angels. Those sons of God that rebelled are replaced by us. And we rebelled way more than they do, but he calls us his brothers. Why are y'all acting like this? We're going to judge these people. The evil heavenly host hates us. And more so people who conquer by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. This is why we experience spiritual warfare. This is why we struggle with. You think all these things are natural? Depression, anxiety? You know those just natural occurrences? You think conflict between people is natural? You think the enemy loves that you have a good marriage? No. He wants there to be bitterness and judgment. They hate us. They hate you. Because you believe in Jesus. And so now, we are pulled in. This is why we experience this. Because Jesus became a human being and forgives us, but not them. Calls us his brothers. He doesn't call them. In fact, Hebrews 1, he says, God says, and what, what, when has ever God said to an angel, today you have become my son and I've begotten you? That's Hebrews 1. When did God ever say to an angel, today you have become my son and I have begotten you? Saying Jesus is higher than the angels. But let's take that and apply that idea to us. He's never called angels a son in the same way that he's calling us that. Because angels that, forget, that sin one time, when we get to 2 Peter 2, and it talks about angels who left their proper dwelling place or in chains of gloomy darkness. That was one situation. You and I sin all the time. And the enemy, whether we like it or not, his accusations, they're not wrong. they just falling on deaf ears. You and I do every single thing that he says. If everything the devil says is a lie, when he's talking about us, it's the truth but it falls on deaf ears because these are my brothers. These are my sons and daughters. You, however, are not. Lastly, why is it important for us to know this? Reasons may be obvious, but to say that I have to answer one question, this will pique us into what we're going to talk about next week. In verse 7 of Revelation 12, it says this. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. 
when he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Why does it say Michael and his angels? Why does it say that? I thought God, they were angels belong to God. Why is it saying, now war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back? We mean Michael and his angels. Aren't these God's angels? What is happening here? Tune in next week. And Here's what I will say, though. I will say this. In Daniel 10, Daniel chapter 10 through 13, we get this brief snapshot, right? Something of crazy scene. Brief snapshot. Here's Daniel 10, 10 through 13. It says this. And behold, and the hand touched me, and I t- me is Daniel. And I sat up and, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understanding the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when you had spoken this word to me, when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was there left with the kings of Persia. Ooh, it's a deep passage. There's a lot going on. Let me just say this. Mike did a wonderful job explaining the divine council last week. There's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy. It calls Michael one of the chief princes. So Michael has authority by God to oversee angels that go to war. That's why I said Michael and his angels. But there's also a hierarchy in the demonic side. Because it said the prince of Persia. That is not talking about what we would call Satan. That's a a cosmic power of evil with authority that rivals the chiefs of angels on God's side. This is a powerful supernatural being. Second thing we want to pay attention to, that these powerful supernatural beings are strong enough to fight against God and have some success. Because this angel told, told Daniel, look, I couldn't get past this thing for 21 days. I was trying to come to you and, and tell you that your prayer had been heard, but I wasn't able to get past this, this prince of Persia. So Michael came and fought with him just so I could answer, tell you your prayer has been heard. Third reason why this is important, because even something like prayers, are a part of spiritual warfare. He's saying, look, I came to answer your prayer, but I was held up by a cosmic power of darkness. Mm. What if the prayer that you're waiting for, mm, oh, oh, man, oh. Mm-hmm. 
boy, if I didn't have to do a wedding after, after, the, after church today, I would say a lot more. But we're going to stop there and pick up next week right where we need to be at, understanding the hierarchy. Because it's not just God, angel, and demons. It's much more serious than that. So we'll do that next, and then we'll do one more sermon on what the Bible actually is. And then beginning on October 30th, we will begin with Genesis 1 and start the supernatural storyline of the Bible. Stuff that we've overseen that we've not looked at will come out in this series. So let's pray. Father, my prayer is simply this. There's a lot more that I couldn't say, maybe things I should have said. But my prayer is simply this, that those of us who genuinely profess to believe in you would be humbled and sobered by this reality even more. Some of us already are sobered by the fact that you would become like us, die on the cross and forgive us of our sins. But this is also in direct contrast. It's not just about us. It's in direct contrast to angels. They hate us because you love us. You call us your brother so that you can be a faithful and merciful high priest. And you even said that because you have suffered, you're able to help us when we're suffering. You've never helped any of those angels that are suffering. You've never done that for them. So this is real, Lord. Help us to believe that this is real. That they hate us and they want us to reflect all the attitudes and thoughts that are not from you. This is not just what other people do to us or whatever. There's more going on here. They want us to, to not have, they want us to complain about all the stuff that you want us to do. They want the commands to be burdensome. They want us to not, to, 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 be, to, to stay in comforts that they won't allow us to press into you, to be offended when we're challenged by people who tell us to do so. They want all of that. They want us to be ineffective and unfruitful for the kingdom because they're bitter at us because you've chosen us over them. And so I pray as we wake up, make our way through this series that you would help us to grow deeper in our appreciation for you and deeper in our affiliation with one another. This is way more serious than we give it credit for. And a lot of what we think are just natural often has supernatural components. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here who's praying for something that's feeling like they haven't heard from you, that they would be encouraged by this, that the answer may be on the way. But for, for reasons that we have yet to, to communicate, you do allow the cosmic powers of evil to have a significant, forceful presence. But I say this, Lord, in closing this prayer to you, I love that it said Michael and his angels you were letting angels that you created fight the devil. You're not fighting. They're doing the work. You're letting them fight. Because if you weigh in, it's over. But we are pulled into this reality simply because you said you're going to forgive us. And so I pray that each of us who have professed to believe in you that we would grow deeper in our understanding of our forgiveness and that we would take seriously what you call us to do and behave and act and think. The accuser of the brethren is right. 
but you're not listening. Because the blood of Jesus is louder than his accusation. So we thank you, Lord, for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we do have a few questions that have come in. Uh, remember, you can text those to 240-623. And if you don't have your communion, get your communion. A076. Um, so there have been a couple of questions that have come with regard to uh, the judgment of angels. Um, mm -hmm. So um, so uh, one of them, I'll try to combine a couple. But um, why doesn't, if God, since God created the angels, uh, why don't they uh, get the grace that we do as it relates to their sin? It's a great question. The Bible doesn't really answer it, but this is what I think. Remember when um, Jesus said to Thomas, remember Thomas, they were like, hey, Jesus is back. And Thomas was like, man, until I put my hands in his fingers in his holes and see the. So when Jesus showed up and said, Thomas, here are my hands and here's the. And he was like, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you know, you, you said that because you believe. But blessed are those who do not see me and believe. So many of us were not around when Jesus was alive. If you were, then you're either Cain, who had a curse on him that nobody could kill him, or you're a demon somehow or something. You shouldn't have been alive when Jesus was. We didn't see it. We're trusting Stories that have been written, recorded, and passed down to us. Many translations that people constantly say are not genuine. We have everything around us telling us what we believe to be true is not true, and yet we still believe it. So the grace given to, and also, we also aren't in the presence of God. When they sin, they sin in the presence of God. They made this decision knowing who he is we don't there's a reason why if you look at almost almost every story in the bible where god appears to someone they're usually terrified we're not used to seeing that and the angels believe it or not angels don't have like people act like angels have wings and stuff the seraphim have wings but angels they just look like Man, but you can tell, like, man, something's not right. Man, his, his face is a little too shiny, and he's look, a little something weird about this dude right here. They're terrified, right? We don't even get to see a lot of this stuff, but yet we still believe. The, the Revelation 12 said that they're, they're willing to die instead of reject the testimony of God. So that's why we get grace. Like, we didn't see God and then sin against him. God, you know, Psalm 103, 10 through 12, for he remembers how he made us, that we are only dust. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we lack faith. Do you know in the New Testament, do you know how many, when Jesus said, why do you lack faith? Do you know who he was talking to the majority of the time? His disciples. Go look in your concordance and see how many times Jesus said, you have little faith. He, talk, he was telling his disciples that, the people who were with him. When they woke him up on the boat like, Jesus, we getting ready to die, aren't you afraid? And he was like, fam, don't y'all remember the loaves and the fish that I just did? I just fed thousands of people with a snack. And you're worried about dying with me on the boat? 
peace be still. Let me go back to sleep. You know, let me let me know when we get to shore. There's a sense where he, he just knows we're weak, and but yet we have faith, and that we're really acting on faith. They had sight and they disobeyed. I think that's the big difference. All right, this Great one question. is uh, this this question is uh, akin to that one, and that is. Um, What happens when angels die, specifically the ones killed by Satan? So the Bible doesn't technically say that angels die. It says they're defeated, right? So when they were cast on, they were trampled on. I, angels are often, they're spirits. So the Bible doesn't, the only time that we know for a fact that angels die is Revelation 20 when it says they were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So that death is like, okay, it's a wrap. They're not, and even then, that's not like they're dying. They're being tormented forever. So I don't think the angels died necessarily. It just says that they were defeated. And I would say trampled on, but I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's, there's like, I don't, I don't got there being a hospital that angels go to, like, hey, man, I need to get, get stitched up, man. What happened? Man, Satan, man, I was fighting with him, and he... He caught me when I wasn't looking, man. I was trying to help Bob out. And I don't know if it's like that. Um, so I don't know where those, those, those are. But I think the imagery was less about, like, what happened to them and more about this is how powerful he is, but he wasn't powerful enough to stop this and stop what you believe in. That's the point of Revelation 20. It's a good question, though. Very good question. Um, but it could be a holy hospital for all we know. A little, little triage. Holy angel, cross angel up triage. there might actually be a room. <laughs> Well, they had me up there making his arm stitched back on by, by the great physician. Um, <clears throat> could you um, elaborate on the significance of the contrast when it says that um, that he, the, the seed that's promised, would um, would strike the head, and but that his heel would be bruised. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's symbolic language for basically saying God, when Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, God said both to the actual creature, which we'll, we're going to talk about that. Not right now. Don't, 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 don't tempt me, please, because I want to save it for, there's a sermon, we're going to get into that. But he says to the, the spiritual being that we often call Satan, that this woman and in that moment, this is when we find out, wow, this dude has authority and has people that belong to him because he said, I will put hatred, enmity is hatred, between the woman and you, between your offspring, plural, and her offspring, singular. So they knew that he was saying, there's someone that's going to be born. They didn't know when. But someone's going to come, and that person is going to crush the authority that you have in the world. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. So that's what was being said. They call that the Proto-Evangelium, which we call the first gospel. It's theological. It's the first time. And so the whole storyline of the Bible is, well, who is this he? Who's the he? And everyone's asking, is it, are you this? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you this? Are you that? Are you the prophet? Are you this? Are you that? There's all these different questions. Who is the he? And so in John 12, when Jesus says, all right, it's it. It's me. And when I die, 
He said, the, and he said, the ruler of this world will be cast out. But notice that evil hasn't stopped. So what is Jesus talking about? He's saying the ultimate authority that he has been given is about to be rocked. Why? Because I'm going to die, be lifted up, and then people are going to start believing in me. So that gates of hell will not prevail because people will believe in me. And they're going to believe in me until their last breath. And that is sort of what he's saying in Genesis 3. That he's telling, telling Satan, all right, I'm going to let you have something. You're going to have people. You're going to have offspring. But you're not going to have all of them. Because I'm Alpha and Omega. And I'm going to show up. And we're going to shut all this down. And so that's what's happening. Um, this question um, is, did God know all along that he was going to create the human race? So, so this is gets into like one of those deep end of the theological pool, right? <laughs> right. So let me, so there's a, there's a couple things here, right? That's a good question. There's a difference between God's foreknowledge and God's decree, right? So there's a difference between God knowing what's going to happen and God decreeing for that to happen. There's a big difference. And the reason why this is important is because when you, when you think God decrees everything, I thought that at one point, but then when I look at the Bible and really see some stuff, it's like, oh, no, no. There's a difference between God knows this is going to happen and he uses this situation. Let me give you an example. Uh, is it First Kings... Is it 17? Where David is like, hey, God, uh, these people are coming. If I stay here, are they going to give me over to the Philistines? And the Lord was like, yeah, they are. <laughs> so <laughs> he was like, all right, one more question. So if we go this way, and will we be able to escape? And he was like, yeah, you will. So he was like, hey, guys, let's go. Mount up. Let's go. <laughs> Yo. Now, here's important. God knew what would happen. God knew if you do this. So he, he, but he didn't decree that to happen. So there's a difference between God knowing the, all things, and we think because he knows all things and allows all things that he decreed all things. That's different than God saying, I know what's going to happen, and I'm going to use it. Because I'm sovereign, I'm going to work through all of it. But that doesn't mean I decreed it to happen, but you could, so, so that's a big deal. It's a, it's a different theological conversation. I'm saying that to say, did God know he was going to create the human race? I, I think he, I think so. I think so. I don't think it was just a reflection of, and we'll get into this when we start the actual storyline of the Bible, what Eden actually is. It's not just a earthly reflection. Like that was a, 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 a Eden is considered like a mountain, and a garden is there where heaven and earth sort of meet there. So I think that God knew he wanted to create beings that would oversee the world. Because God loves having a council. He loves working alongside with people like he does the angels. He's like, all right, let's, let's make man in our image. And let's create them to do down here what we're doing up here. And we'll just have, and this is where we'll meet. Heaven and earth will meet. We can come down there. They can go up here. We can, oh, we're, we're here. I'm in the presence. I'm walking around the garden with them. I'm ahead of myself. But that's saying, yes, 
I think God knew he would create the human race. And I think he knew stuff that would happen. But God is a free. If you truly believe that free will, I think God really does believe in free will. I just don't think that anyone can have a free will unless God gives them the cognitive ability to do it. So even though people think like this idea of free will versus election, did God choose or did man choose? I think both exist. But here's why. Because you can't believe in God unless you have the cognitive ability from him to do it. You look at Daniel chapter 4. He told Nebuchadnezzar, all right, because you arrogantly think you did this, I'm going to strike you down. But he didn't take the kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar. He took humanity from him. He said, look, you're not even going to be able to think like a rational human being. You're going to eat grass for seven years. You're going to have hair that looks like you just you're not going to be attractive to nobody. Fingernails long. I mean, can you eat grass for seven years? That's where the vegan diet comes from. So I'm serious. I know I need to be on it. I know. I know. I need to be. I need to be on. I know. I need to be. I need to be. No, no shame. I like lettuce. I need to be on it. I need to be. I get it. I know. I know. I know. I need to be on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No tomatoes. Those are from the. Those are the devils. Those are the devil's vitamins. But I need to be. At least when they're sliced, not when they're chopped up. Then they. Then the devil is. The Lord redeems that. But again. We're gonna have fun in this series. There's a lot that's gonna come out. But I. I. I, I do think. Yeah. I, I think this stuff is is really serious, and I think the Lord knows these things. The creed. And I think. But you can't. You cannot accept the Lord. So even if you accepted God on your own free will, you can't do it unless he gives you the cognitive ability to do it. He took that away from Nebuchadnezzar and showed, look, the fact that you're a human being that makes rational decisions, that's because I let you. Even something like that. So we talked about this before in the past. This is like, that's, that's a reality. So. Uh, I think you answered this, uh, but I'm, I'm going to ask it for uh, the sake of integrity. So it's, uh, I'll ask, ask two more questions. If your question did not get a- answered or asked um, and you're here, please um, see Pastor Kurt um, after we're finished. But um, is there any scriptural <coughs> excuse me, text that suggests that there were heavenly angels defeated? Defeated? I'm not sure if I understand kind of the context of the question. I mean, you have, when you say defeated, well, on one level, sure, it depends on how you process that. So you got Revelation 12, they were, a third were cast down to the earth. That's defeated language, right? Then if you go to the Daniel scene, um, you know, angels are fighting with princes of Persia, and so to some degree, they're losing because the chief angel, Michael, had to come and help out this angel just so Daniel could get his prayer answered, right? So there is a degree in which it's, it's really fascinating when you think about it, that God will allow, like even the statement that a third of the angels were swept down, that's symbolic language, but they were defeated. Like how, you would think like God wouldn't allow, why would he allow that? Why would he allow that? Now, we'll talk about that later. But, I, but yes, I think there's, there's evidence to say, yeah, sometimes angels, they, they get defeated. Like the enemy, said, what we call Satan, is very, very powerful. And God let him be that. Well, that's the crazy part. The crazy question is, Lord, what do you, why did you do that? Like, what are you trying to, 
Because he could, I mean, it's only that, I mean, are we, Satan is like, listen, when, when Satan tempted Jesus and said, I've been given all the kingdoms of the world, right? I, who gave them to you? Like, if, I'm, if you tell me that, listen, I've been given all the kingdoms of the world, and if you worship me, you can have them. I'd be like, well, who, didn't somebody give them to you? So shouldn't I worship the person who gave them to you? Because if you got them from somebody else, then you're not as powerful as that person. So you're like the middleman on one of them. Because somebody gave them to you. So I need to worship that person. And the person who gave them to him was the one he was tempted, was Jesus. This is fascinating. The, I, 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 yeah. God is just amazing. And, and I don't, you know, no one else, none of us really know why he does, why he allows this stuff. I have, you know, we all have thoughts and what we think, but we, we can't really prove those things. And we'll probably learn that in eternity. I think I've seen a couple of questions. That have, I mean, a lot of questions have come in, uh, but we don't have time for all of them. But I up think here, I've like seen. Hang, hangograph up yeah, here. Hang, yeah, the Bible answer man. But um, um, I've seen a couple iterations of something along the lines of <clears throat> uh, obviously angels aren't perfect, um, right, because of, mm -hmm. the, because of what they've done. But were angels, uh, how can angels sing? How could they have done it? Mm. Wow. So, so there's these like these Latin phrases like posse non peccari, non posse peccari, and these. So there's these these fourth sort of levels where people think, all right, able not to sin, right? There's able not to sin, which means you could sin, but you're not going to sin. You're able not to sin. Then there's not able to sin, right? Well, you're, it's impossible for you to sin. So there's these different kind of classifications that there's like, I think there's more than four. The one I, there's four that I knew of, but the other ones get kind of like just too crazy to me. Like now you just try to show you know something. Like, man, go ahead, friend. Like, it's not even that serious. Well, able to look at sin, but then not, it's like, listen, man, I don't even, listen, I don't like mayonnaise on my, can you take that off, please? That's why I tell people, I don't like mayonnaise. Can you take it off? What do you mean? That's what I'm asking you. What do you mean? So, um, so I think the reality is, is that angels were created as free will divine beings. So in order to have a free will, you're able to make choices. There's no such thing as free will unless there's a choice to choose. So I think God genuinely wants divine beings to have free will. And so there were angels. So when you, we'll get to this later in the series, but when you hear the language like, like Jude in 2 Peter 2, it says angels who left their proper dwelling place, right? So it's contrasting angels who didn't leave their proper dwelling place and angels who did. So it's not that, so angels are capable of sinning, obviously, because they did. Why? I think it's just simply because for you to really obey God, and, then you have to have the ability to be a free moral agent. I just think a lot of divine creatures are just not going in that direction. And now that you've seen what's happening, what's going to happen to the enemy, it's like, no, nah, there's no reason for that. So then another question might be, well, how do we know we won't sin when we get to heaven? If, you could, if angels could sin, how will we won't sin? Right? Nobody asked that, but I'm going to answer no, that. No, that was the that, last question. That was the last question? Okay. The spirit is moving, y'all. Right? He just said that. Hey, answer that real quick. 
So Jesus is not able to sin. He's not able to sin. So Jesus cannot sin, right? It's impossible for him to sin. He's not able to. The scripture tells us that when we, when we see him, it says we will what? Be like him. We're not going to be like angels. We'll be like angels on that we're not married and given in marriage. But it says when we see him, we'll be like him. So we're not going to be able to sin like him because we're going to be like him. That's a fascinating reality. When you almost... <laughs> So when you honestly think about who we are, so when you get to that Psalm 8 and it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Ooh, are you serious? Like you and I are a piece of work. And the Lord is like, I love him. Those are my, those are my brothers and sisters. Those are my sons and daughters. That's my family you're talking about. You know how everyone defends their family. What better person to defend you than the father, right? It's my family. That's not our uncle. That's not Uncle God, right? That's not, that's not, that ain't Uncle God, right? That's father. Like, that's our father. That ain't uncle. That ain't no cousin God. You know, cousin Holy Spirit. It's, it's a direct relationship. God has, there ain't no grandfather God, none of that. It's just father. It's our father. So be encouraged. We're brought into this because God loves us. Cosmic powers of darkness are offended because we receive grace all the time that they don't. And so here we are having to battle these realities. So that's why sometimes I'll be like, man, I think the enemy is after. I'm, I'm not saying that to be funny or to be like real charismatic with it. I'm being serious. I think the enemy is after your thinking right now. Because you're thinking crazy right now, and it's not, it doesn't honor, and the enemy's after that. And you're, you know, I, I'll say that to people sometimes. I'm not trying to be funny. Or, I'm being honest. I really believe the enemy does it. He wants us to be like that. He wants us to not care. I think, I think he's, I think he is, I think the, I think the, the enemy, the devil, and all the causes, I think they have wonderfully enjoyed what COVID did to the church. I think they have wonderfully enjoyed and have celebrated the many broken relationships that have happened in the last two years because of distance, judgment, pressure, just overwhelmed, all of it. I think they have wonderfully enjoyed that happening to the church. Seeing it disrupted, churches closed down, uh, offense, all of it. Marriages distraught, I think he's enjoyed that a lot. And so I'm hoping that through this series, we're able to build back up or the way some people say, restore what the, the locusts have eaten. I think the locusts got to eat a little bit, but uh, they're going on a diet by the, way, by the grace of God. All right, let's, let's, let's honor the Lord by, by remembering significantly that Hebrews 2, that it's more than just he became flesh, but he has forgiven us and not other supernatural beings that he created. And he doesn't call them brothers. He doesn't call them the same things. He, he didn't become like them. He's not a merciful high priest to angels. He's not able to help them when they are tempted because he was tempted. 
He's not concerned with them. When you rebelled against him, you're going to be judged by him. We rebel against him all the time. And he says, I forgive them. I love them. So, Lord, we just we take this symbolic gesture as a reminder of how serious your sacrifice was. For your, your birth brought us into spiritual warfare. When you saved us, we were immediately brought into a war. Whether we accept it or not, believe it or not, care about it or not, all those things are a product of what's happening in this warfare. For it's so serious that even Daniel's prayer was being blocked for 21 days. We thank you that you, you decided to become like us, that you would have your body broken so that we could do this together, to be forgiven. You partook of the flesh and blood that we now symbolically remember for your glory and our good. Let us eat this together. And Lord, we thank you that your blood was shed on our behalf. We do this every week to remember the significance of that. And I pray that today was another layer deeper for us of the significance of what it means to believe in you, to know you, to conquer in you, to conquer by the blood of you. You are the lamb that we conquer by. It's the word of your life that's our testimony. So I pray that you would give every genuine Christian in this room who's watching online, who will listen later, a confidence and a motive to continue to press in to glorify you. And I pray that anyone who's not a Christian would hear this and want to know what this is and want to taste what this is and be a part of this reality. For they are also pulled into spiritual warfare in ways that they don't understand or even acknowledge, but that they will find out. We just pray that they would find out on this side of glory by your grace and not standing in front of you, having not known who you are. So I pray that anyone who does not believe that you would stir their hearts up to genuinely see the reality that takes place before them. We drink this in light of your bloodshed for us. And Lord, now we, we end our time together. May we be encouraged. May we reach out and meet other people who profess to believe what we believe. May we, may we do all these things, Lord. But I just pray, Lord, that you would help us not to forget. Come Tuesday, Wednesday, when we're in the middle of our work week and we're focused on so many other things, help us to not forget these truths, Lord. It's the reason why we meet on Sundays, why we do core groups, why we do one another's. All these things matter. Even if we call them different things, it's important that we are gathering together so that we strengthen our conviction to conquer in the blood. So I pray that that would go forward today for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen.